I tagged Ben Shapiro on the intro video that I made. Oh my gosh. What do you think the odds are of Ben Shapiro fans watching this show just to type real fast angry comments about us? It feels delightful. <laughs> Does that mean that we have succeeded as a show if that happens? Maybe. 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 <laughs> and I'm just looking at this picture, Dean Bajlan kind of killed it. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. Thank you all for joining us this evening. Before we start, if you're new to the channel, please hit subscribe. Don't forget to hit that notification bell so you are alerted whenever we go live. We're constantly adding cross streams with other channels and adding new shows. So many shows in the works. This is a busy week for us. We'll be doing a bunch of pre-records this week to try to get ready for the holiday season where we try to take a few days off and do family stuff, reset a little bit. That said, MT, it's time for the merch pitch. Can you do the merch pitch? Oh, uh, sure. Hey, we got merch over here. You can wear This Is Revolution t-shirts while telling people you're walking over here. I'm walking over here. <laughs> we got Anglo Pessimism. We got This Is Revolution mouse pads. You can... I really like the idea of you letting your coworkers know where you stand with our merch. Pascal's smiling face is on a, is on a mug. In a mouse pad. Can we tell them about the new stuff that's coming? The hoodies that are coming for the holiday season? Hey, we got new hoodies coming. Perfect for your wheat color Tims. The classics. Those are the classics, right? There was a color combination on one of them. And he was like, what's with the color combination? I was like, hey, we tanks for the revolutionary children. <laughs> <laughs> No, you didn't like that color combo? I'm not crazy about it. Really? 
We're not killer bees. No. Oh man. No. It's not Woo Wednesday. <laughs> Woo Wednesday. So tomorrow we're actually going to be doing a Red Zone show tomorrow. We're bringing back the Beyond the Red Zone Sports Show. I'll be joined with my co-host Mac, and also we'll have a. Dylan Rodriguez coming on to talk left to sports with us tomorrow at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So please tune in. Thank you to all the patrons and YouTube and Twitch subscribers. You guys are the oh-so-important cogs in the TIR machine. If you'd like to be a part of what we do here, have access to the call-in segment of the show, that's always so much fun. Become a patron. You get access to the exclusive champagne room. You can join us for movie nights for as low as $3 a month or $30 for the year, it can all be yours. Now, I must bring in my co-host, my homie, my dog. He is the man of the Mau Mau Hour. He voiced his opinion about Nietzsche and didn't read the YouTube comments where there was some some pushback. Mm. Yep, that's how I felt when I read the comments. <laughs> I think I, I made that same sound. Mm. <laughs> Please welcome the James Brown of political commentary, the Pascal Robert. Mm. Oh, good good Say loud. <laughs> Pascal and I'm proud. <laughs> it's funny. I have a story about that song, Black and I'm Proud. That Bruce Dickton told me that the Panthers confronted James Brown when he was writing that song and they got him to change the lyric that I'm black and I'm proud because he was going to have been, I'm black, but I'm proud. <laughs> they were like, no, that doesn't sound good, uh, James. <laughs> you can do better, James. Come on. <laughs> it's a whole different dance for that song, huh? Yes. <laughs> That's some look at the coon shit right there. Damn. <laughs> that one lyric, Jesus. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful change because Black But I'm Proud, I don't think it has the staying power. No, no. not at all. That's on some Bojangles. He did support Nixon. <sighs> into the very troubling legacy of James. He did have a conk. A hardcore <laughs> conk. James Brown kept his dark hair and that conk for 85 years. It's important. That should have Actually, I don't know how old James Brown was. Pascal, how old was James Brown when he died? Oh, I don't remember. Gotta show these rappers who's boss. He still was the man, though. The father of funk. You know, jamming on the one. Transformed mm. black music forever. Wouldn't have contemporary hip-hop without James Brown. Cannot diminish the musical contributions of James Brown. I mean, his politics were kind of questionable. But. Oof. I mean, he felt, you know, he's kind of... What's, what's interesting about that is if you look at his political shift, because he actually was... When black and... Proud comes out, I believe, or even right before that, he's actually supporting the Democratic nominees. It's because he felt let let down by the Democrats that he kind of says, "Well, I think right. Nixon will be the guy 
that's going to uh, help our people get there, if you will. Well, so, he was a strong believer in racial bootstrapping and up racial uplift. You know, you know, uh, you know, so what I this is real black power, the green power. What I can buy is mine. I mean, that's kind of how he learned, right? Little Richard telling him yeah. it's all about pay to play. So he ends up paying a play, buys radio stations, buys pressing plants, had his own recording studio. I think he had multiple pressing plants where he would Indeed. press 45s for singles and he would press full albums. He owned multiple black radio stations uh, in, in very strategic regions of the South. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying he was right. I get where he was coming from in that era, right? Who had that? Who had that kind of leverage? Aunt Barry Gordy didn't. That's true. Hey, he was in line for being the potential Black Messiah. What do you think ruined it, Nixon? Maybe. The Kong <laughs> <laughs> put him down low on the list. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Strom. Strom says James Brown was literally my mother's next door neighbor. He didn't have a conch his whole life. He had a natural from 68 to 72. Is that what you next door to your mom? I would dress my, yeah. my Strom hair so kinky. <laughs> oh, Strom got a natural. Strom. That's why Strom got a relaxer. <laughs> you know, Strom is a good, is a good dog. Uh, Viewer of the show, man. Don't be dissing. There strong was man. a day. <laughs> making questionable statements about Strong's mama now. <laughs> right, right. Let me strong just add mama this quote. Hey, Strong Mama, get the Holy Ghost whenever James Brown come on. Oh, my Lord. Let me add this quote from James Brown. I taught them everything they know, but not everything I know. Mm. I got to do it. That's a good quote. Mm-hmm. That's a damn good quote. Did he tell that to Strom's mama? <laughs> Cameron says, I'd be worried if my mom was living with James Brown. I'd be five inches shorter with better hair if James Brown lived next to my mama. I'm just letting you know right now. Strom Brown. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Strom. Strom, we love you. If we didn't love you, we wouldn't be making fun of James Brown. Lace and Strom with your mama jokes, man. Y'all. <laughs> we haven't even brought in the guests yet. If if Ben is cross streaming this on his channel, all those people turned off. <laughs> James Brown, nuclear family. What's going on? JB just asked, uh, does Strom's mama prefer Bojangles or Popeyes? Oh, why well, gotta be about the chicken? What are you trying to say? <laughs> we would uh, not we ask the chicken it. preferences if we didn't respect you. Exactly, Strong. That's why we're talking about the chicken yo mama likes. He said Bojangles. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on. 
today we'll be talking with friend of show, friend in real life, co-host of the Give Them a Lever, Give Them a Revolution, Give Them a Revolution, Left as Best live shows, Ben Burgess. And because of his appearance, and because I had to read some Ben Shapiro to get ready for today's show and watch some, what's the guy's name, Matt Walsh? I was going to say yes. Joe Walsh. Joe Just Walsh the- is the guy from, you know, the show with the criminals. America's Most Wanted, right? There we go. Yeah. yeah. I okay. Joe Walsh scary. and Matt Walsh are not the same Walsh. Not the same Walsh. Different Walsh. What did you call Matt Walsh? You called him Ugly Hassan Piker? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call Matt Walsh ugly Hassan. Hassan Piker called Matt Walsh ugly Hassan Piker. His beard is suspiciously thick. I don't trust that man. My beard is getting suspiciously thick. Nah. Not Matt Walsh thick. Okay. Matt, Matt Walsh, Walsh is hiding someone in there. He's hiding someone <laughs> underage in his beard. We'll have, so what about our, our guest has a beard as well? It's not Matt Walsh thick, is that what you're saying? That his beard no. hasn't gotten to that level? Matt Walsh is like, it's like a shoe polish beard. God damn. It's not even like, he's hiding from somebody. You can't be questioning age of consent laws and and not be on a run somewhere. I don't believe it. I, I saw that video. Was he, was he literally doing that? A little bit, a little bit. Well, let's let's check this clip out. marriage is is a certain thing which is the um the context for uh for procreation for the for the the building of the the nuclear family right-wing pundits often claim that there is a war on traditional family values and it's being incited by the left do egalitarian policies chip away at the foundation of america is the end game of socialism to destroy society as we know it with a dystopian nightmare of genderless, racially ambiguous, soulless automatons? We'll ask these questions and more. It's always wonderful and special and new. Sure, other folks think they know what it's all about. Millions of other folks. But when do two people ever really love each other as we do? When were two people ever so sure they were just born to live with each other? We can't fail to find happiness together in this wonderful world of today tomorrow, in a whole lifetime of wonderful tomorrows. Imagine a home of our own, a home made of smiles and love. She pretended to crack the eggs and then throw it over her shoulder. I was like, what kind of home of love is this? This chick is just throwing eggshells behind her willy-nilly, not even to the garbage can. So mad. Salmonella all over that kitchen. Oh, my God. Never eat at them people's house. Mm -mm. Never, ever? Never, ever? When asked if that riff was recorded on a Marshall, 
no, it was recorded on software because if I brought my Marshall here, I would probably melt the walls. <laughs> so my Marshall is sadly still in the San Francisco Bay Area. Please welcome the man that prompted me to make this intro. I was going to take the whole rest of the year off for intros. And I read both Ben's pieces and I was like, oh, no, fuck that. <laughs> Please welcome my homie. Ben Burgess. So I was listening to the earlier part and uh, three comments. One, uh, M. Tucson is making a lot of good points tonight. Two, uh, James Brad was 73 when he died. Uh, and uh, three, uh, I remember when we did our live show in LA, you, you chided me for uh, for insulted the audience uh and i wasn't even i wasn't even talking about anybody's pocket <laughs> ben i hope you appreciate i hope you giggled if you listened to that intro I did. because uh i literally took those words um I had did a show with our mutual homegirl, Anna Kasparian, mm -hmm. and I made the mistake of reading TYT comments. Um, and that was literally a comment someone left. They said, Anna Kasparian wants a world of genderless, soulless, <laughs> <laughs> raceless, autonomous. Who says that? Awesome. I was reading it with Bertram Cooper <laughs> who were in LA was waiting for Phoenix and his mom to, to arrive and I was reading it and me and Bertram were dying inside of a Denny's by the Burbank airport we couldn't fucking stop laughing reading the comments so I was like okay this, this episode is going to be an interesting conversation and I at least have to make something for Ben Burgess that he will chuckle at definitely but Pascal I know you yeah. have a question. Absolutely, Ben. I really enjoyed your two pieces. I read the one in the Daily Beast and the one from Jacobin. And it really, uh, this, is, this has been a constant kind of trope of the reactionary right, at least all of my adult political life in terms of like the more the morally reprobate nature of the left, going back to maybe the new left with the hippies in the 60s, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But Something I found interesting, and I'm sure you probably read the piece as well, was the piece in the Atlantic written by David Brooks on the history of the history of the American family. I don't know if you're familiar with the piece, but what is what I found surprising is that he concedes that the notion of the nuclear family that we have in contemporary America that is so uh, so constantly being defended by the reactionary right was a complete creation of political economy that comes out of the New Deal that allows for the, the domestication of family life and the more removal from the more kind of like difficulties of urban living of the early 20th century, as well as the agrarian lifestyle of the late 1800s, and how mm -hmm. it's actually New Deal policy that creates this. When exactly did Americans lose the capacity to realize that it was political economy that mm -hmm. shaped the way in which 
family was structured in the society as opposed to these ridiculous questions about culture wars and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think like a way to even sharpen the point is to say that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to have those uh, white picket fences in the 50s because uh, people wouldn't have been able to afford those houses in many cases if not for the sit-down strikes of the 30s uh, creating uh, this uh, unionized labor force where people who are like auto workers in my home state, for example, could could afford uh, to uh, to have uh, single income uh, single income households. Now, of course, I don't think that anybody should uh, should have to, uh, you know, if if they don't want to. I, I you know, and certainly, you know, if you go back to the 1950s, uh, there's all kinds of um, you know there are all kinds of ways in which um, conservative values were you know, were being imposed by you know, restrictions on what women could do economically and et cetera, and all of that's reactionary and awful. But um, but the thing that always gets me about these guys, I mean, the thing that kind of like inspired both of those pieces is how absurd it is to talk about how this is like your ideal, this is how you think that people should live, and just not recognize that there's a reason why people in the 50s were able to uh to to live that way and there's there's a reason that uh there's a reason that so few people now are that um that there's all this uh there are these surveys where people are asked uh if you know if you don't um if you're not married but you know you want to be uh and you're not uh, they ask them why not or if you uh if you don't have kids you don't have as many kids as you want uh they ask you why not and I think what should be very, very unsurprising, but what's totally absent from the way all of these guys talk about this stuff, is that almost all the answers that people give, the overwhelming majority of them, are straightforwardly economic. Uh, not enough paid time off, no paid time off, uh, partners not financially ready, I'm not financially ready, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. No, that's something that you really highlight very well, particularly in the piece where you're talking about Ben Shapiro. Mm -hmm. So do you think that the reactionary right is trying to play a game of moral panic in which mm -hmm. they're trying to infuse in the consciousness of the American body politic that, listen, these people who support X, Y, Z, you know, transgender dolphins or whatever you have it, will you may you might call it, don't care about family values. They're just decrepit, immoral you know, grooming sadomasochists mm -hmm. who just want your kids to wear Balenciaga S&M's, you know, clothing and, you know, just want to, like, have, like, drag parties at your local kindergarten just to basically play the, the game of fear in the minds of the American consciousness and separate from people realizing, like, the left as the left as we know it is about the, the way in which capitalism is denying people from actually acquiring the things they need to be happy, i.e. be able to even produce families. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, elsewhere in the uh, Jason's intro, uh, that clip that he has of Matt Walsh on the Joe Rogan experience, uh, there's, a, um, there's a different point in that episode where Walsh makes the claim, and they go to what you said about moral panic, that millions of kids are, uh, are prescribed puberty blockers every year. And uh, then... You know, Joe, to his credit, hears that. That doesn't that doesn't quite sound right to him. He asks his producer, Jamie, to look it up. And uh, Jamie Googles it, and it turns out that the number is less than 5,000 over the course of the last five years. So that's uh, in a nation of, you know, close to 300 million people, I think about that, uh, 
that's less than a thousand on average uh, per per year. And so the fact that uh, the fact that these people want to focus on that so relentlessly tells you something, right? I mean, this is uh, you know something I I pointed out on election night. I went on the stream to argue with some right wingers, and one of the things I pointed out to them is like uh, the Republicans openly said during the election, the uh, Kevin McCarthy put out this document called Commitment to America, where he said that um, they were going to, if they wanted to, they were going to uh, reform Social Security uh, by um, cutting it, uh, essentially. And you think about the juxtaposition between those two things. I mean, I, you know, to what you said about moral panics, that on the one hand, they want everybody to be up in arms about um, prescriptions that like less than a thousand kids in the entire country are getting in any given year. Uh, what, whereas like what they certainly don't want to focus on everybody's attention on is their own plans to steal the social security money that every single person in the country, at least every citizen, you know, will eventually be uh, beginning. Um, and, and I think in particular, I mean, just to, just to quickly answer the other part of your question, um, so in the in the part that Jason was clipping, um, Joe and and Matt Walsh are arguing about uh, gay marriage, mm-hmm. and um, which of course uh, was also the context of the Ben Shapiro article I wrote for uh, for Jacobin. Uh, it's a shame because these days Jacobin is very uh, conscious of uh, search, you know, search result mm-hmm. optimization. So. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. So the, the titles have to be very straightforwardly, boringly descriptive. Uh, what I wanted to call it was Ben Shapiro and the Visitors from Mars, because he, because uh, he, because uh, I, I quote him in there, in uh, Shapiro's conversation with Matt Walsh, uh, Shapiro says even Visitors from Mars would be against yeah. marriage uh, because uh, they would see because like, marriage is about procreation. Yeah, exactly, um, and but they. The way that all this is connected for me is Shapiro and his ilk sometimes point at something real, which is people getting married at lower rates, uh, mm-hmm. people having, you know, waiting till for longer to have kids or having fewer kids. Those are real things. And um, in some cases, you know, I mean, it's just not everybody is built the same. Not everybody wants the same things out of life. And that's fine. That's legitimate. That's freedom. But um, but there is a social problem that, like, leads to that. It's just not gay people getting married. It's not that, like, nobody, no straight person decides not to get married. It's not that it's like gay people being allowed to club somehow do use it. And, like, they just don't see a point anymore. Like, that's not a thing that I think has literally ever happened to anybody now uh, I, I but, watched that whole that whole not the whole interview i think it's like three hours long but i watched the yeah. clip it was like 15 minutes and in the clip joe rogan actually does in my opinion some interesting pushback because i think joe rogan doesn't like the framing and what i found interesting about the way these guys talk is there's always a war on <laughs> personal freedom and that war comes from the left and government right these are the small government people these are the government is the problem people and how can government be the problem well the government will enforce these rights on these people that you don't have to like Mm -hmm. and what i found interesting was rogan's framing of 
rights and freedom. Mm-hmm. Rogan, for all intents and purposes, we don't really know. I, I think he's more almost apolitical mm-hmm. than anything, maybe contrarian at best. Uh, didn't see the problem with denying gay people the right to get married. And what was interesting about Matt Walsh, and, and I or, or originally... He didn't see the problem with letting them get married. Yeah, letting you. Sorry, yeah, letting. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah. letting. Yeah, because 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 he because he asked the kinds of questions that I think, like frankly, any normal person should ask when confronted with that. Like, okay, yeah, like, he, he, how he, does he, that what, hurt anybody? Yeah, he's like, what? Is, what is, well, what he was screwing. What what Matt Walsh seemed to be getting real stuck on. He he comes out says, marriage is this sacred institution that's all about the procreation of of life. Mm-hmm. And if these people get married, then life can't be procreated. And that's where the Martian thing comes from, right? Mm-hmm. And Rogan's like, well, what if there's just straight couples that don't want kids? He had no answer for that. No, he did. Because uh, he said, well, I think everybody should be, I, you know, I would hope that any couple would be open life. But that's not <laughs> the question. The question is, uh, <laughs> if two straight people love each other and they, they want to, you know, they want to uh, formalize that. They want to hang it. They want to have, um, you know, they like, it's, it's meaningful to them. They want the legal prints that can visit each other in the hospital and all that stuff. Um, uh, but they don't want kids. Should they be allowed to? And, and Walsh wasn't quite willing to say they shouldn't be allowed to, but if the answer to that isn't no, then clearly just, the, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, even ignoring the fact that Matt Walsh, is talking as if he doesn't know that adoption and uh, in vitro fertilization are things, but like, whatever, put all that aside. Like it's, if he thinks that it's okay for people who uh, aren't, don't want kids or people who are infertile uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to get, you know, to get married, then that can't possibly be what's wrong with, um, with gay marriage. And, and again, I mean, the thing I, I just, you know, it's a, it's in a sense, it's a really simple point. But you know, what I keep going back to here is, I would worry about like not enough human beings wanting to have kids. That like you know, where the uh, that like the human race isn't going to continue to exist, right? That's a pretty widespread human desire. Not everybody, but it's pretty widespread. But it is again, it is true. That there are fewer, you know, that like people uh, statistically uh, will wait for longer to have kids, have fewer kids, etc. Um, but like none of the things that they that like they want to blame it on have anything to do with it. Feminism didn't do that, you know. Letting gay people get married didn't do that. The tiny, tiny number of kids they who, avoid the uh, economic question. Oh, so yeah, exactly, well. exactly, because that's like this. Is, this is not rocket science. It, it should be pretty commonsensical, as Pascal suggested earlier, that of course, right? I mean, people worry that they're not like they don't that they're not financially secure enough uh, to uh, to do that, to get married in the first place, to have kids, any of that stuff. And uh, if you really wanted to enable that, and like frankly, look, I don't like obviously my vision of uh, of how. <laughs> Uh, how all this should work is not like Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro because I don't uh, I don't you know I'm <laughs> you know I'm on the Rogan side of the Rogan Walsh argument I th- I don't think it affects you how many else live their life um, yeah. but um, 
But I do think that a decent society would even give people the option of staying home with the kids if they wanted to. Um, that like that that that's totally legitimate. I mean, I, I don't think there should be any gender-based pressure on anybody in particular to do it. But if but like if one of the parents wants to, wants to stay home with the kids, if both parents want to work reduced hours so they can spend more time with the kids, mm-hmm. those are things that I think any halfway decent society would give people the option to do. But the problem is that as much as these people might lecture people morally on how those are good things, they're not only don't support, but are adamantly opposed to everything that would make it easier to do that, that they're opposed to making it easier to organize unions so we could have, uh, again, like, you know, the actual historical preconditions for uh, 1950s mm-hmm. families we were talking about earlier. They're against racism, the minimum wage. Uh, they're certainly, um, they're certainly against- Very anti-union. Yeah, very anti-union, very, very you know, they're, they're certainly opposed to like, providing people with daycare, which, you know, if, if you want people to, uh, if you want people to have kids, you know, that would, that would certainly help with that. Like they're, they're against all of this stuff because ultimately it's, uh, ultimately I think it's kind of, uh, of bait and switch that, uh, that they, that, you know, they, they like, um, they like to scold people about these things. They, they like to fret about how the decisions of other people are supposedly stopping um, are supposedly like leading to the de- you know decline of marriage, or somehow I really don't get this one letting people gay, letting gay people get married, you know, leads to the decline of marriage. Uh, but uh, but they don't you know they don't actually want to give people the tools that they would need if they actually wanted to follow their advice. No, and they never really talk about equality, right? Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan actually made some jokes about divorce in that show uh, that Matt Walsh tried to push back on and had no data when Joe Rogan was talking about most marriages into divorce. Um, after reading your piece, I went and grabbed a, a book I read a while back by a guy named uh, Gregory Wilpert. He used to be on The Real News. Mm-hmm. And he was in Venezuela for five years during the Bolivarian Revolution and wrote uh, what I think is a really good book about Chavez's plans, what actually came to fruition, what didn't happen. And one of the things that Chavez was trying to roll out was like true equality uh, on, a, on a gender level. And he really mm-hmm. felt like if you are a homemaker, you deserve a wage because that's what true equality looks like, right? Mm-hmm. The ability not to be stuck um, in a relationship that you may not want to be in, um, which I think is interesting because, again, a lot of the talk coming from these individuals is, and everyone watching the show hates these people. I get that. But I, I think Cassie to understand, too, these people have a massive audience. Mm-hmm. And it's not just your you know, uncles that you hate during the holidays. Um, yeah, and I mean, I- depressively, the, the, I was going to say, depressively, the numbers are very clear on this, uh, that um, I think oftentimes people in our corner have a have a skewed sense of this. But, like, just if you want to really depress yourself, go look at one of those. Uh, there's a Twitter account that just lists off what the 10 most top most shared stories were on Facebook the day before. 
and it's it's like always like eight of them are always this garbage yeah <laughs> but but i know mt you have uh some opinions about you know not opinions but you know some factoids about the history uh of marriage and the framing of of, of what these two were talking about was that marriage has always been about men and women and procreation and i know you have something to say about that i do <laughs> it was that was a great intro for something I don't have. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask: Is this about white people? Well, I mean, look, there are there are plenty of um, uh, there are there are plenty of people who who uh, will um, of both the uh, racist white reactionary variety and like the black nationalist variety who will endlessly fret about racially specific versions of this for black people. Um, mm, that's you know, true. Like that, uh, and, and you know, it's in both cases, I think the, I think the fundamental problem is, is the same. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous to think that, um, you know, and in, in a way, I think actually, you know, hot take maybe that, um, the sort of stuff that Shapiro and, and Walsh are doing in some ways is like, is a, uh, in some ways is a colorblind version of, uh, of underclass ideology that it's like, all, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's all, it's all just like, it's all just people who are making bad moral choices. And they need to pull their pants up rather than say that like people are that like actual material conditions constrain what kind of lives people lead and like have some kind of causal effects in the world. I'm all about white underclass ideology from now on. <laughs> that's a new that's, t-shirt. That's a new t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, marriage has historically been about property. That's what I was going to, that's what I thought you were going to talk about, MT, because you've said that before on the show. And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're pretty smart. Well, well I, I would just say this briefly on that, like that uh, one thing that always strikes me is really funny when I hear uh, like Matt Walsh, for example, talking about this stuff is that he'll talk about how marriage has always been uh, a, you know, defined as a union of, you know, one man and one woman. Uh, it's like, okay, dude is a very religious Catholic. And if he cracked open his Bible, he would know that that is not the case. Right? Mm-hmm. That, they, that, you know, King Solomon had however many wives and et cetera, right? Like that, uh, um, Etc. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, actually, it is Etc. Right, because he had however many hundreds of wives plus however many hundreds of concubines. But yeah, uh, that uh, that you know, polygamy is is all over the place uh, in uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, which is which is relevant, I think, actually, because it's you know historic relevant to the point about property. But then I think the really like there is a sense in which marriage, like the there's a germ of truth to what social conservatives say about this, that marriage has changed in a, uh, in a fundamental way in, um, you know, relatively recently, historically, it just has nothing to do with letting gay people get married. The change is uh, legal equality for women within, uh, within marriage um, mm. and uh, the end of coverture, you know, the, the old legal doctrine that uh, many of a married woman's right, legal rights and duties were subsumed into her husband and you know and i think that um you know one you know which does probably lead into you know one reason why like there's this big contradiction at the heart of their views that like 
about, okay, they, they want people to have this sort of idealized 1950s white picket fence, uh, single provider marriages, but they won't give people the economic tools uh, to, uh, to do so. Um, and in some cases, it's just because people are, you know, capitalist ideologues and everything else is hypocrisy. But also there is a social conservative angle on this, which is that um, they don't want, uh, you know, they, they don't want uh, economic conditions that allow everybody to make whatever choices they want in condition quality. Because the same way that those conditions allow people who do want to live the way that they want them to live to do that, they also allow people who don't to do that. That like the same way that the people, the same way that uh, that precarious economic conditions make it hard to keep relationships together, uh, make people hesitate about being better having kids, etc. Also, those same economic conditions uh, will sometimes keep people in bad or even abusive relationships because they they can't they can't afford to strike out on their own uh, and. Mm. So I think if you're I think if you're a social conservative, you know you sort of correctly recognize that um, that providing substantial social democratic reforms that would chip away at those conditions, you know, also doesn't really serve your your agenda. I mean, it serves our agenda, which should be right. The, the message of the left. I mean, I think sometimes people get hung up on this in unhelpful ways. Uh, I, you know, that there's there's a sort of strand of classical Marxist thought where people talk about like abolishing the family, whatever that means. But I would say that the sort of helpful left message is we want to give people the economic ability to live however the hell they want to. If they want to have, um, you know, if they want to have uh, you know, nuclear families and, you know, even single provider nuclear families, great. We, we will, you know, we'll give you the economic ability to do that. If, uh, if they want to live some other way, they could do that too. You know, it should be up to you. If they want to have 27 beige kids, they can do that too? Sure. Why not? Okay. I like I, this left. Yeah. No, but seriously, like, why not? Like, if you if you mm-hmm. want to, uh, like, I think that, uh, so, you know, John Stuart Mill has this phrase about experiments and living, and I always thought with, like, regular bourgeois liberals talk that way, the obvious absurdity of it is, like, okay, it's all very well to tell people that you're free to make experiments and living, if you can figure it out financially, I mean, that's like mm. telling some physics grad student that if they could buy their own large hydrogen uh, collider, they could do all the experiments they want, you know, <laughs> like that doesn't do them any good, but like actually giving people a foundation of material security. So like you take that out of the equation, then yeah, look, if you want to, you know, I don't know if you want to live in a polyamorous wicked come in, go nuts. If you want to have a, uh, you know, if you want to live in a more traditional way, do that. But like, that's, I don't care. It's not, it's not even a political question to me, how somebody lives their life. It's a political question, how society distributes its resources, thus allowing people to live their lives that way. How do you deal with the questions that you hear from the reactionary right, that there are certain ideological strains amongst the left, some would argue, say, elements of radical feminism that that fundamentally argue that that marriage and family are oppressive of women, that they are trying to extract wealth and resources from women, that they're designed to objectify women as a means to legitimate the belief that the left is inherently against marriage? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there uh, there certainly are people with um, views like the ones you're describing, but I don't think that really has anything to do with what a materialist left 
uh, should be said because uh, I, I think the sort of like supportable socialist feminism uh, that I would be down with just says that you know you should have meaningfully you know obviously a foundation of legal and civic equality and you'd have uh, a foundation of material equality so so women can make whatever choices they want I mean, this is the I saw somebody in the chat talking about that book uh, the Kirsten Godsey book mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, which, which gets into how, um, uh, how relationships, you know, for all the problems with the society, you know, relationships in East Germany uh, were actually much better in some ways than West Germany because uh, they, they, like, greater foundation of economic equality meant that nobody was staying in bad relationships because they, uh, they couldn't afford uh, to, uh, to not do that. You know, even the sort of few extra marks that some... Uh, you know, that somebody that some like professional person had in East Germany as opposed to anybody else wasn't really enough for uh, for that to uh, to happen. And so ultimately, to me, if somebody, you know, if somebody says, uh, well, I don't essentially what they're they're saying is I don't approve of being, of like women making these choices. I think it's bad for them. But look, anybody who's like a sort of moral preacher saying I don't approve of the choices that people are making, I think it's bad for them. Um, I don't, I think that's, you know, my view is that that's kind of a distraction from material politics, that the, that, that what we should be doing is, is enabling people to make whatever choices they want, not lecturing them about what choices those are, whether we're, whether we're, whatever perspective we're delivering that lecture from. And ultimately to directly answer your question, Pascal, I would say that what you, um, you say is, okay. Look, is the question, are a handful of academics and writers sometimes guilty of saying silly things? Yeah, they are. But if the question is, should you support the left in the sense of supporting a political program in the real world that would involve things like higher wages and making these, you know, or to organize labor unions and providing everybody with health care, providing everybody with daycare, and all of those basic reforms that would actually uh, solve this problem they seem to care so much, they claim to care so much about, then I don't think, um, I, I don't think the fact that like some, um, you know, some rat lib academic, you know, says something ridiculous should be either here nor there in terms of like how somebody feels about that political program. Interesting, interesting. So, I mean, I, I understand that, but we do understand that there there is a large uh, constellation of people who have those kind of rattling ideas. So mm -hmm. I think that those things will have to be fought out on the drain of the actual left. I don't necessarily agree or disagree with you at all. What I'm saying is that we have to be prepared for that fight because I think that's going to be part of the battle as well. Do you think mm -hmm. that the reactionary right understands that they're basically playing a game when they make these arguments? Are they are they are do or do they are, do are in other words, mm -hmm. are they actually bona fide making these arguments, or is this really a game for them to try to score political points to try to get people to real to, to get to the idea get to the idea that the left is full of morally bankrupt boogeymen and that you want to keep your kids away from them because God forbid what will happen if they happen with them if they're in your presence? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's very hard to know in many individual cases uh, whether people really mean what these things. Uh, my default assumption is usually that people have convinced themselves of whatever nonsense they're spouting. Um, and 
you know, so I think probably we're a little bit too quick to assume that everybody's a uh, everybody's a grifter, that everybody's like sort of secretly agrees with us about this stuff, but they're they're sort of pretending, you know, they've like taken the money and they're pretending not to. I think that if anything, it's probably you know psychologically easier for most people to say these things to convince themselves of. And in some cases, I think they're just not very thoughtful people. Uh, which is not to say that there are genuine examples. I mean, you know, I think like. Uh, you know, an extreme case of somebody I think is, uh, I think actually is probably a grifter is like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, who um, was uh, uh, actually uh, a married gay man who uh, found, who uh, was like a very Trumpy extreme right wing married gay man. And then after he was uh, canceled by the right for his age of consent comments, uh, he claimed to have uh, found Jesus. And he said that uh, he, he admitted to still, there's an interview I saw with him where he admitted that he was still living with his husband, but claimed that they were just roommates now. Um, so like that guy, that guy's a grifter. He's pretending. Uh, that I feel confident in. Uh, that Walsh, you know, might be a true believer, but I think that in some sense it matters a little bit less what's in people's hearts. Like do they, uh, how sincerely do they believe what they're spouting? I think that, that matters less ultimately than what it is. Uh, are served by what they're spouting. <laughs> are are they true believers, or you know, we're we're reading a book for our Saturday show. Uh, Todd McGowan just wrote uh, this, the first release in Sublation about uh, happiness and joy. I don't know mm-hmm. how deep Tucson or Pascal have gotten into the book. And one of the things that uh, McGowan points out is that conservatives need to to feel joy. Uh, a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. They can't exist without one, um, an enemy, if you will. So is it kind of constantly finding these culture battles to fight? Because it's, I, don't, I wouldn't even say secretly, it seems like off camera is uh, where the real uh, political fuckery is going on. Well, I mean, my ultimate answer is actually, so I see our friend C. Derek Vard said in the chat, um, basically... Well, listen to the at a ghetto-ass hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not me yet. That's, uh, uh, but, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not staying in a fancy hotel. This is Red Roof. That's actually not me. Um, <laughs> that wasn't you? No, that actually wasn't oh, me. Um, sorry. But, um, but yeah, I... But yeah, what what Varn said in the chat, I think, is exactly right. Which is just, does it matter? I don't think it does matter very much. Like whether, like people uh, like uh, Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro uh, or Jordan Peterson believe what they say or not. And what reason it doesn't matter is because whether or not they truly believe these things, a lot of other people do, uh, because mm-hmm. they they have giant audiences and uh, and they do. You know, trust me that like. Um, it's not like the vast majority of grassroots conservatives are only pretending, you know, they like in some ways life would be easier or so. Uh, they, uh, but like they do actually believe these things. These people do have a lot of influence, but I, I guess to kind of take back to the, the original point, kind of that first question that Pascal asked to kick us off about political economy, I would just say that I actually think that there are people who might be influenced by some of these messages who are not unreachable uh, with a with a better program, right? So, like, uh, 
a story that I've told before, so I'll just do this really, like the really quick version now, is uh, shortly after uh, I went on Rogan at the beginning of the year, I was at a bar in Atlanta. There was a dude there who recognized me from the show who, descri who described himself as a conservative. He said that he, uh, even though I worked for what he called a liberal magazine and I let it go, he met Jack. Uh, <laughs> uh, that uh, that, uh, that uh, he still seemed like, I still seemed like somebody you could talk to, whatever. And so we started talking. He still seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, yeah like exactly. person. Yeah, uh, yeah. You felt like, you felt like being black for a second. Huh? Oh, you're really cool <laughs> for a black guy. <laughs> oh, you're all right yeah. for a black guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he found me as one of the good ones. So we had a conversation and in that conversation, I, you know, the only really conservative view that he would express um, was that he was uncomfortable with abortion and which, you know, many people are. Uh, he was uncomfortable. <laughs> That's yeah. some. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we don't like that. Uh, I don't like that. Right? But uh, I think we do have to admit that there are, there is like a huge percentage of the population, male and female, that does have that view. That is, that is like, has some level of, I don't remember what phrase to use to describe it, but like has some level of moral antipathy or discomfort mm -hmm. about abortion. Not a majority, fortunately, um, which, you know, is, makes things easier politically, but, a, but a, big, a big chunk of the population. But what I pressed him on in that conversation was, okay, but like, what do you actually want to do? Do, do you want to like put people in jail? Like, like do, do you think that like women have abortion should go to prison? And when it put, and this is not an uncommon experience, I think. When it's put in those terms, it's like, uh, no, I guess not. And and we talked about it for a few minutes, and ultimately, um, ultimately, what I said to him, and he agreed, is is okay. Look, you don't want you know you want fewer people to have abortions. Fine, you could just give more financial support to uh, to people so they feel like they could afford to have kids if they wanted them, and there would be fewer abortions than there are right now. Wouldn't mm -hmm. that be better than putting people in prison? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, like that's so, so I, yeah, you, know, I you know, the point, um, you know, this is my shareable summary of what he said, but like, you know, but he did end up going along with that. And I think that that's, you know, I mean, I think lots of people have all kinds of weird combinations of views. Like that, you're actually kind of a weirdo if you spend enough time thinking about politics that like everything you think is like, well thought out and consistent like very few people are like that and that could be discouraging sometimes but the encouraging thing about it is that actually means that even with people who might have some views we really don't like there is something to to work with here which is why you know both of these articles i didn't just want to do the sort of like okay i'm gonna write about jordan peterson here's why george Peter jordan peterson is a very bad man who you know who has all kinds of horrible views i don't like you know because he you know he has uh reactionary and bigoted views etc all of which might be true but i kind of feel like people say that so often it didn't really need to be said again by me yeah. uh and what did feel like a more useful contribution to me is just to point out because i think we should all be doing more of this that like okay jordan peterson says uh, like he regularly moves himself to tears talking about uh, the uh, these like alienated, confused young men who come oh. to him for advice and feel lost and all this stuff. And it's like easy to make fun of certain aspects of that, but he's not, not wrong. 
that there are a lot of you know, dudes who do feel exactly the way that he describes. And there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, that, that I'm, can... I'm 45 and I feel like that. That actually goes right into the qu next question I wanted to ask you is that yeah. how does the, the, the we talk about, we've talked about, we've probably had five episodes talking about this and I'm sure we'll bring it up again. Probably yeah. we'll talk about it for Christmas on Thursday. Mm -hmm. How does the crisis of masculinity discourse that's so prevalent today, on the left and on the right, but particularly on the right, mm -hmm. how does that work into questions about family, the role of men in family, the role of masculinity, and how do we avoid encouraging the materialist economic justification for family with a left socialist vision mm -hmm. without falling into a reactionary rolling role modeling of what the proper man, father, mm -hmm. or husband should be that the, the right seems to be advocating in their paradigm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, and it's a big question. I, I guess I'd just say a couple things that, that don't completely answer, but maybe answer parts of it. Uh, and, and, you know, um, I thought, uh, uh, your um, occasional Alabaster co-host, uh, Kuba, uh, says some <laughs> things about this uh, on, the, on, on Twitter uh, like uh, last week, I think. Oh, that was a good, yeah, that thread was great. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he talked about the way that that sense of a crisis of masculinity that you're talking about, this, you know, sort of, um, which has a lot of causes, uh, but certainly involves things like people not feeling like they're on the path that they should be on in life, that are informed by a certain ideal about, you know, how you know, men should live, about starting families and, you know, being able to provide for people, et cetera, that have to do with this, well, a lack of a sense of mentors. Some of this is just the sort of uh, gender-specific fallout of you know, a, a pretty obvious phenomenon about American society, which is that we're incredibly atomized and like to the point that I mean, for, you know, like, um, like even like, like, even like friendship is kind of a crisis in American society right now. If you yes. look at the number of hours a week that people spend uh, with friends compared to like even a few years ago and definitely compared to like 20 years ago, uh, it's just plummeted uh, because because we we live in this uh, absolute you know I mean look this is I mean when was that bowling alone book put out that was decades and decades ago right, it's, <laughs> right. It's, it's it's gotten way worse since then right so it's like and, and I think that this is part of what Pascal's talking about is a consequence of this but like but what Kuba was identified in that thread has to do with the way that a sort of uh, that lat people feeling like they don't have like young men feeling like they don't have mentors uh creates an opening for people like jordan peterson uh, who are all too happy to come in and fulfill that role it creates an opening for much darker uh, uh forces than uh, than that uh to uh, to come in he talked about the alt-right in that thread um and how it is that the left can usefully intervene in that is a big question, but I think he did say a few things that made sense. And uh, one of them is that the last thing you want to do is contribute to the way that all of these other forces want to portray the left, uh, which is sort of a bunch of 
you know, a, a bunch of really tedious goals, you know, that uh, I think he said sort of, um, you know, like a, you know, 21st century version of the old SNL church lady skit, you know, but for social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, and I think, I think that's, that's right. I mean, I think you do have to present something that's appealing, something that, you know, that people actually, actually want uh, to, uh, you know, to be part of where, you know, they're not going to feel particularly judged, et cetera. Uh, and most importantly, I think that's linked to some, some kind of positive, um, some kind of positive, hopeful vision. And as far as, you know, and I, I understand the part of Pascal's question about, you know, not wanting to uh, feed into sort of reactionary gender stereotypes. That's certainly correct. But, but I think that, again, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just being way too much of a vulgar Marxist about this, but I think that a lot of that stuff sorts itself out under conditions of meaningful economic equality when nobody's like, you know, when, when nobody's like staying in a bad relationship because she can't afford to move out, for example, when, when, um, when people have like meaningful options, people can see each other exercising uh, better options. I think that, like, I think there's a lot of evidence. I mean, even without completely overcoming capitalism, I think there's a lot of evidence that, like, the Nordic countries, for example, uh, do actually have a degree of gender equality in many ways that's probably higher than um, almost anywhere else in the in the world. You know, that uh, that are, that like like addressing some of these questions about political economy actually does actually does address uh, does address a lot of that. I think that people, I. I I think people can kind of figure out how they want to relate to each other when you take out, you know, the sort of legal inequality that you had in the fifties, but you also take out conditions of economic inequality and, and material scarcity. I mean, I, I, I think, I don't think people need to be lectured about that. I think, I think that they'll, you know, figure out between themselves arrangements that, you know, that work for them. I think that the, the most important thing for me is just that like when people think about the left, they don't think about people who uh, I think I'm thinking about that old uh, Michael Brooks lecture at the uh, the uh, Lafayette College thing, the Bill series, you know, where he like making fun of people who you know say say you know Seinfeld is problematic, everything you yeah. like is bad, you know, like they like yeah. they don't associate us with that. They associate us with hey, you should you should have health care and get paid more money. And your boss should be forced to like let you have uh, let you have some paid time off, mm-hmm. um, and you know here's a vision of a better society that you actually want to live in, and here's a group of people who aren't just going to like sort of engage in these like weird esoteric um, uh, theoretical interventions, and they're not going to lecture people about how they live their lives, but we're going to say like you know we're in this together, and we're going to like work on this together to try to achieve some of these things. Thank you very much for coming on, Ben Burgess. Are you going to be joining us for a little bit in the uh, champagne room? Uh, will actually that that's a good reminder. I will send. I had the set up right now, but I didn't send it. I'm sending. I posted right now to the GTA Patreon for anybody who wants to join there. The oh damn! Should we do calls in the champagne room? Uh oh. Uh, if you want to do calls, I'm down, but you know, uh, I'm happy to go with the flow. I'm just, I'm just uh, chilling in my lovely red roof in Odessa, Texas. And, <laughs> you put the call out, red roof in Odessa, Texas. I got a bottle. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> go door to door, you know. <laughs> I love scotch. Scotch, scotch, scotch. <laughs> Pascal, are you ready to go in the champagne room? Should we take calls for a little bit? We could take calls. Um, are you saying that like um like an oppressed wife when the husband's like, We're gonna entertain <laughs> my mother this evening? <laughs> As long as he doesn't have to dance, he doesn't care. <laughs> dance a little magic. Pascal, do the dance all the young people do, Pascal. <laughs> so we're going to go take calls in the champagne room. This should be fun because this will be uh, give them an argument. And this is revolution callers. Uh, we're going to have a call off. <laughs> Jim Rome show and the callers have to talk shit about each other. <laughs> no, just kidding. That's not what's going to happen at all. Because I would win that fight. <laughs> all right. Are, you, are we ready to go, Tucson? I think so. Do you have any parting words? We've exhausted the possibilities for this hour. <laughs> let's move on to the champagne room we can at least pretend to be inebriated and uninhibited I think Ben might have a bottle find it. you'll find out at the end of yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not giving that away here if you did he wouldn't let you know what's that there you go Said if he did, he wouldn't let you know anyway. <laughs> well, we'll join you guys in the patron half. If you're watching this on Ben Burgess's show, there should be a link ready for you to go to check us out. Give us like 10 minutes or so for the This Is Revolution people. If you're not a part, if you want to be a part, it's easy. Patreon.com slash Bitter Lake Presents. And you can Wait. Enjoy the ah! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're not supposed to interrupt men because their minds are like one track and it really disrupts them when you just throw in a monkey wrench. I'm sorry, person of masculinity. Um, I just wanted to say that Ben has been on this show before in case people don't realize it. And there was a little bit of nerd jousting with Pascal and Ben. Pascal kind of went after Burgess. And in the end, Pascal said it was one of TIR's best episodes. There you go. There you go. Yes. Ah, uh, <laughs> jinx. It's a, it's a mischaracterization. A little yeah, bit we'll, we'll, we'll correct. Oh. Uh, we'll correct your characterization of that episode and uh, it's post game. <laughs> I do want to put a shout out. I was in a horrible mood today. And M. Toussaint said one thing to me and it totally changed everything so i want to thank you for that you're welcome you jason because i was say monkey balls no <laughs> oh. can i i i can tell you i will tell you what i said i said something that he said back to him <laughs> and it made his day he I was so tickled I, I didn't think i said it i was like there's no way in the world i said that. he definitely said it totally twice it. said it twice <laughs> Was that, were we in real life when I said it? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why I don't remember. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck, that was okay. On so, that note, so, so I, uh, 
I should also say um, it is December. Uh, should we should we let a uh, should we let an episode of Avis shows go by without uh, mentioning January? I've been trying to mention it every time, and I think I forgot because mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. January twenty second in the cutting room in New York. Ben, myself, David Griscom, Matt Leck, Sam Cedar, Emma Viglin, Bosch Carson Carr, Deep State Cuba, allegedly Gene Bajlan, allegedly M. Toussaint. <laughs> Jake, Jake Appet should be there for all the Appet heads out there. <laughs> Will Pascal Robert be there? That's Ooh. is he there already? <laughs> <laughs> is he in fact on this episode from a from like the back of the yeah. Exactly. <laughs> sort of early Terminator Pascal and he's just warning other Pascals <laughs> yes. about the coming of more Pascals. Uh I'm I'm really excited for the show. Wherever you're listening to the show or watching the show. There are links in the description where you can get tickets to the Left is Best Give Them a Revolution live show January 22nd at the Cutting Room in New York City. We are bringing the show to New York. Um, did I leave anything out, Ben? No, I think that's uh, I think that's about it. It should be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that we did in L.A. was fantastic. I think this is going to be even better for uh, for a variety of reasons, and uh, and yeah, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm I'm excited actually. Some friends from high school hit me up on social media because I posted a thing, and they're like, "You're going to be in New York. We live here. We'll come get you from the airport. You can stay with us. It'll be fucking rad. We haven't seen you in forever." So, I'm I'm excited. It's going to be very a nice of Andy William to open his doors for us. Andy <clears throat> Williams, you know, having Andy William back in the chat is like that scene for me in the color purple at the end where Oprah Winfrey gets out of prison. It's no. like, you're Sophia home now. <laughs> no. Whenever I see Andy William in the comments, oh, that's man. how I feel. <laughs> oh my God. So when so I see what? Andy in New York, he's going to remind me of that. All right. Okay. Now, now, since do you want to say goodbye, MT? Uh, I want you to say goodbye, and then I'm gonna mess it up, oh. and then you're gonna say it correctly. Egress. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us. If you haven't done it, please hit like. Please hit subscribe. Go to give them an argument. Go like that as well. It helps left media. We are left. Damn it.